0: Hello everyone, welcome to this episode of Grim Tales from the Garden State, the show where we follow the dark stories and twisted threads that have all been woven in the great state of New Jersey. I'm your host, Mrs. B, and today's story is about Patricia Monsell, a wealthy woman who helped her husband, James Monsell, open a small chain of ski supply stores. When addictions took priority and repeated confrontations grew tiresome, Patricia felt like she had no other choice but to eliminate the main impedance to her lifestyle. But before we get started today, let's hear our terrifying tidbit. According to Yale Medicine, a gambling disorder is described as a condition in which gambling becomes an addiction and interferes with a person's day-to-day life. When people gamble too much, they not only damage their finances, but also their interpersonal and business relationships. Men and women tend to gamble differently. Men typically go for sports betting or card games, while women usually go for slots or bingo. People with gambling addictions often get irritable and restless when they're prevented from, or when they try to stop gambling, making them more emotionally volatile. Often, in order to reach the same level of excitement, they need to gamble higher and higher sums of money, which further endangers their financial safety. So they will often lie to hide how deep they are in their addiction for fear of judgment or revocation of funds. Our story takes place in Martinsville, which is located in Bridgewater Township in Somerset County. Martinsville is a very affluent community where houses often cost over a million dollars. It has a population of a little under 11,500 people and is rated the number one best place to live in Somerset County. Half of the residents are over the age of 45 and nearly 70% of people have a bachelor's degree or higher. This is to say that this is an area for the established and the wealthy. Patricia Monsell was born Patricia Murray on February 21, 1953 in Newport, Rhode Island to Ruth and Donald Murray. Patricia grew up in a large family with nine siblings, and her family was very well off. At some point during her childhood, they all moved to Central Jersey, where she would meet James Monsell as a teen. James grew up in Central Jersey in your typical middle-class family. He grew up with both of his parents and his two brothers, Roger and Kevin. James's favorite hobby was skiing, and he made sure to get his time in on the slopes as often as he could. When he reached high school, he met Patricia, and they quickly became high school sweethearts that everyone adored. James went on to study economics at Bryant College in Rhode Island. Patricia would visit him there, which I imagine was probably fairly easy because she must have still had family in Rhode Island. She remained involved in his life throughout his years in college. The couple got engaged shortly after James graduated and then married on August 11th, 1974. They chose to settle down in Wachung and Somerset County, and soon after, James opened the first four-season ski and snowboard shop in nearby Greenbrook. The shop performed very well and it transformed James and Patricia into full-blown entrepreneurs. The success of the first shop allowed them to open two additional locations, which were also performing well. Now achieving an even higher social status, the Montsells joined the local country club where James was able to network and gain even more business peers and friends. In 1977, Patricia gave birth to their daughter, Jennifer, and three years later in 1980, their son Jason was born. Now that they had two small children, Patricia stepped back from the more labor-intensive day-to-day operations of the stores. In 1984, the family moved to Martinsville. Although the Monsells weren't hard on their kids, they held them to very high standards. Because Jennifer and Jason excelled in their youth, their parents were proud of them, and they had overall a loving, close-knit family. James dreamed that one day his kids would take over the family business, that the two biggest priorities in his life would merge someday. Fast forward 20 years, 52-year-old James and 51-year-old Patricia had retired or were able to spend more time skiing, hanging out with friends, and gambling down in Atlantic City. The now 26-year-old Jennifer was handling the accounts for the business, which thoroughly impressed her father. Jason, now 23, on the other hand, didn't seem to have much interest in the stores, despite his father's constant pressing to become more involved. On Saturday, March 20th, 2004, Patricia, Jennifer, and Jason were all running their weekend errands and they all planned to meet at the mall to see the movie Taking Lives. What an appropriate movie title for what went down that day. The three moncells return home in the evening and they're looking for James. He had been drinking the night before with his brother at a bar called Cahoots and it wasn't abnormal for him to sleep in late the following day after drinking. Patricia figured he was in the master bedroom but when she opened the door she screamed out. What she found inside was straight out of a nightmare. James was lying on his back on the ground, only wearing his underwear, dead, with four gunshot wounds in him. Jennifer ran upstairs to see what her mother screamed about and then proceeded to call the Bridgewater police. When the family first entered the home, they realized a lot of things were in disarray. There were drawers hanging open, random stuff strewn across the floor, and Patricia's jewelry box was open. Did someone rob them and then kill James because he interfered? They lived in a large house in an upscale neighborhood, so that wasn't too far out of the realm of possibility. The way that James's body was positioned led investigators to believe that he was in the middle of confronting someone when he was killed. They gathered that he was in bed, then he heard someone had entered the home, which caused him to get up, accost the intruder, and then get shot. But the burglary explanation didn't make too much sense to the police. When someone is robbing a house, their main goal is to get in, steal, and get out. They're typically not going to take the time to shoot the homeowner four times, especially if the homeowner is unarmed. This angle also didn't make sense because James was shot once when he was standing and then three more times execution style after he fell into the ground. This is a very personal way to murder someone, so detectives deduce that James might have known his murderer. When the police arrive at the Montsell's home, the family is still there, so they bring them all to the police department. All of their stories lined up. They all say that nothing seemed out of the ordinary in the hours leading up to the murder. Patricia recalled that she came downstairs at around 10:30 a.m. that Saturday and James was in the master bedroom with the door locked. This being a regular occurrence, she shrugged it off and headed to Bagels for You with Jason for breakfast. After this, Jason carried on with the rest of his day and Patricia went to the grocery store. She returned home from the store around 2 p.m. before she reconvened with her children at the mall. The bedroom door was still closed, but again, not too odd for James. You know, hangers get rougher as you get older, so Patricia went about her plans with her kids. The concern really set in when they all returned from the movie around 5pm and the bedroom door was still closed. When she saw that her jewelry was all messed up, Patricia asked Jennifer if she borrowed anything from her and Jennifer said she should ask dad if he grabbed something since you know no one else was home. Patricia couldn't think of who could be behind James' death because he didn't have any known enemies. She did mention however that their business hadn't been doing too well in recent years. Two of its locations had closed so the money wasn't flowing in like it used to. Patricia feared James was gambling away the money they had left. The kids share a similar version of events from the day and let detectives know that they were aware that the business was on the decline but did not have all the details. That day Jennifer was house-sitting for her aunt in a nearby town then she went to her parents home in the afternoon. She assumed the house was empty but she did happen to notice that the master bedroom door was closed. The kids also knew James was an alcoholic surprise which had been clearly straining the marriage. It was normal for James and Patricia to sleep in different rooms, even when James didn't come home drunk. The younger Monsells told police that he was ordered by a doctor to stop drinking after he had a heart attack, but in true dad fashion, he didn't. Apparently, James was known to be verbally abusive to his family. Jennifer said that she witnessed something physical with her parents, but no one reported it to the police, and it didn't happen again to her knowledge, so it just kind of got lost in the wind. Investigators returned to the crime scene, but the killer left behind absolutely no evidence. How are they supposed to pursue this case with no evidence and no leads? A lot of the neighbors kept prodding the police about the progress of the investigation, especially since this was a wealthy suburb. They weren't used to having to live in fear at home and they wanted to know if they should up their home security, like, I don't know, actually locking their doors at night. Thanks to a tip from a resident of Hunterdon County, the cops learn of another man who was close in age and status to James who was also shot and killed in his home. As far as they knew, there was a killer on the loose and they intended to make sure that this wasn't a serial killer on their hands. The police began to dive further into James's personal and business lives. First, they went to his country club to see if there was any connection between the two men's businesses or friend groups, but there just wasn't. They couldn't figure out why someone would murder such a likable, jovial man. But even a happy-go-lucky guy like James wasn't quite feeling himself in the days leading up to the murder. A couple of his friends said that he seemed to be on edge and made it a habit to sleep behind a locked door. They denied that it had anything to do with his business or any gambling problems. It was his tense relationship with his son. Like I mentioned earlier, James had really hoped his kids would take over the company once he retired. But Jason had no intentions of running the stores. He didn't have the natural charisma, confidence, and extroverted nature that his dad had, making him a poor salesman. James would get on Jason for not being into sports or being athletic like him, and that put a lot of pressure on Jason, so much so that he developed a heroin addiction in 2001. He was going through like 40 bags a day and going to New York for cheaper drugs and floating between his parents' home and elsewhere. He had been checked into several rehab centers, but he always ended up leaving before he experienced any results, so he was just wandering aimlessly through life. Even though he and his son were pretty much estranged, James never gave up on Jason. James's friends noted that Jason's move back into the house and push to work at the business made their relationship even more strained. Not only would they constantly argue with each other, but substantial amounts of money, around $100,000, were missing from both the business and the Monsell's home. James concluded that Jason was embezzling and stealing money to pay for his drug habit. James was getting frustrated, but he was also afraid of the extent of his son's potential retaliation. Cops started canvassing the neighborhoods around Martinsville. One of the Monsell's neighbors was actually a retired police officer, and he was painting one of the rooms in his house on the day of the murder. His windows were open, of course, and he heard a power washer being used at the Monsell residence around 11am, and they would be loud as hell. If you know me, you know I love a good power washer, but the use of it here just seemed out of place to the neighbor. He told police that it was Jason operating the power washer, but Jason hadn't mentioned that to them during his interview. The cops had already pieced together that this was around the time that James was murdered. Then James's brothers, Roger and Kevin, called the police department. James had confided in Kevin that he feared his wife was also stealing from him in the business. It turns out Patricia, had a gambling addiction, and she was the one spending up all of their money. Between his wife's gambling and his son's heroin addiction, the company was being milked for all it had left. James felt like his hard work was being exploited by his own family. He felt so taken advantage of that he wanted to divorce Patricia, but he was uncomfortable with the optics of such a high profile family breaking up. About two days before James died, Patricia took about $8,000 from the family safe to go gamble down in AC. She admitted to stealing the money, and the two fought over her poor financial decisions. This inspired James to update all the codes to the safes, passwords to the accounts, and locks to the Four Seasons stores. He was like, I'm done. Y'all are cut off. Patricia and Jason would run out of money fast without siphoning it from the business, and maybe that would make them rethink their ways. Unfortunately, the cops didn't have any concrete evidence to point them to the exact perpetrator. Was it Jason or Patricia? Which one's motive was strong enough to murder their father or husband? While police were looking for new leads, Patricia went to the 4 Seasons ski shop and declared herself as the new boss. Everyone was like, uh, now I know, everyone grieves differently, but baby girl was bubbling and didn't have a drop of a tear in her eye. People began to suspect her because this was not anywhere near the expected reaction from what most people knew of their relationship. On May 12th, 2004, in nearby Warren, a police officer came across some empty bags used for heroin in a parking lot. The following day, around 3.30 p.m., the same officer came across a vehicle parked in the same location. After approaching the vehicle, they discovered that it's Jason Monsell. They find an additional 99 bags of heroin, which resulted in Jason getting arrested on narcotics charges. The Warren police coordinate with the Bridgewater police so that Jason could be brought in for more questioning. He spoke of his heroin addiction and how it affected his relationship with his father. Jason was very distant from his father, but was very close with his mother. They bonded over the abuse they sustained from James screaming at them for their respective addictions. Patricia commiserated with Jason, so they had a common enemy, so to speak. About five months before James's murder, Patricia approached Jason. She told him, Your dad is going to divorce me. I don't want half of the business and the money. I want everything. This relationship that on the outside seemed so functional and loving was actually just just... Crumbling because it clearly wasn't built on mutual respect and consideration for one another. Patricia asked her son if he could hire a hitman to kill his father. No efforts for a negotiation or a re- reconciliation. Nope, she decided to go the old hitman route. Jason agreed because he wanted to please the only parent he felt he had a connection to. She gave him $30,000 to get the job done. Unfortunately for Patricia, Jason wasn't as committed to this plan as her. She kept trying to check up on the progress of the hit and he kept telling her, oh, they're working on it, but he never actually hired anyone. He just spent the money on heroin. Although this is probably where the money was going to go anyway, Jason had hoped that maybe the delay would give his mother some time to change her mind and back out of this plan. Again, nope. A couple months later on March 20th, 2004, she tried to pressure Jason into killing his father, but he just couldn't do it. So she was like, fine, I'll just do it myself. I know this is a common mom catchphrase, but dear Lord, I hope it's rarely ever used in this context. So the mother-son duo picked the lock of the bedroom with an ice pick and Patricia sends Jason outside to use the power washer to drown out the sound of the gunshots. He never thought his mother would actually go through with this. He hoped that at some point in these final steps, she would stop and be like, you know, this is also crazy. Let's just stop. But then he heard the gunshots. When Patricia entered the bedroom, she and James argued about money, then she shot him in the face, and then in the chest to end his suffering. She came trudging toward the garage, and Jason saw that she was covered in blood, so he shoved her back into the house. The goal was to make the whole scene look like a robbery, so they staged it. Poor Jennifer was the only one who had no idea what was happening. When they came back from the movies and found James dead, she was the only one who was truly shocked and confused. Little did she know that the murderer was the one in whom she was trying to find comfort. I wonder how Patricia behaved towards her daughter during this time. Was it convincing? Or did Jennifer suspect that something was off? Anyway, Jason was charged with conspiracy to commit murder, unlawful possession of a firearm, and obstruction of justice. As soon as they get him in jail, police go looking for Patricia. They found and arrested her at her home and charged her with first degree murder. In May of 2004, Jason Monsell's bail was set at $500,000, while Patricia Monsell's bail was set at $1,000,000. Everyone who knew them was completely dumbfounded by this turn of events because they seemed like your typical wealthy nuclear family. Patricia and James had been together for like 30 years. During the arraignment, Jennifer and Kevin, one of James's brothers, their faces were torn up. They felt such anger and vitriol towards Patricia. Jason had to sit in jail until the trial, but Patricia made bail on June 3rd because she had good connections. It's rumored that her father paid for her bail, which is kind of messed up because that's Jason's grandfather and he just left him there in jail and he had the cheaper bail. But on June 5th, Patricia attempted suicide in her home by trying to overdose on pills. She was brought to a local hospital, unresponsive but still breathing. She had left behind a couple of suicide notes where she took full responsibility for the murder, firmly asserting that her son was not involved in any way. Five days later, Patricia dies at the age of 51. She knew this was the end of the line for her and she was about to spend the rest of her life in prison. It may seem valiant or commendable that she attempted to exonerate her son in her last lucid moments, but I can't really give her any credit for having morals looking back at everything else she had done. After all that though, Jason was still on trial. He was found guilty and the best he was going to get without a plea deal was 30 years. The prosecutor sought input from James' family about Jason and they all agreed that he was manipulated by his mother so they didn't want him to face the maximum punishment. They wanted to fashion a plea agreement that did indeed punish Jason for being an accomplice, but not super harsh since he only wanted to please his mother and he was deeply under the influence of drugs. He accepted a plea agreement of 15 years where he would have to serve 85% of that so he would be released in 12 and a half years. Jennifer Monsell was just left with this imploded family. I'm glad she had her uncles to lean on during this confusingly devastating time. Jennifer took over operating the Four Seasons stores, but after a few years she sold the business and moved away from Jersey. I can understand just wanting to completely start over from this mess of a situation. I hope she was able to lead a regular enough life after all this went down. Jason ended up serving the 12 and a half years in prison and was released in 2017. Since then, I hope he's gotten the help he needs and was also able to lean on his family for support and healing. Overall, this is just another case of none of this had to happen. Counseling, therapy, redirecting your efforts and energy elsewhere, any of these would have helped this family be much more functional. I guess when people get used to a certain lifestyle, they'll sacrifice anything, even potentially their own life, to maintain it. Something I noticed, whatever happened to that guy who got killed in Hunterdon County? Because that wasn't Patricia. She had a singular target. Killing that other guy would not have yielded her any lucrative results. But that's wild though, bless up to him. On another note, Jason is a prime example of what can happen when children feel isolated and rejected by their parents. It creates a gnawing pain inside of them because there's such a disconnect between who they are and who their parents want them to be. I don't know that James had cruel intentions with the way he interacted with Jason, but Obviously, it had a serious negative impact on Jason's life, so much so they ended up in prison helping his mother kill his father. I don't know. I guess my point is to be good to the people around you. I always make the joke that we have to love on my nephew who's a baby or he'll kill us when he gets older. And the more episodes that I do for this show, the more I believe that. But anyway, guys, that's it for me today. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please don't forget to rate, follow, and share this podcast. And I'd love it if you followed me on Instagram at GrimTalesGS. I will see you all next week. Goodbye.